Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hello, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. We have an exciting, we always call our episodes exciting because they all are exciting. And so we have another exciting episode to share with you. We wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't exciting to us. So that's why we can always use that word. But we have a guest this time. And this guest is special to us personally. Um, We have worked with her and the coaching that she provides and have found her spirit, her knowledge, her training, and her um, her just incredible levels of graciousness to be so therapeutic and so wonderful. So we wanted to have a chat and share it all with you because we think you will benefit from her work greatly. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Lelia is a trauma-informed counselor, neuroemotional practitioner, and a certified parent coach. She is a South African living in a small coastal town in Cape Town with her family. Her children are 26, 24, 22, 19, 12, and 9. They will turn those ages this year. And she loves to swim in the cold ocean and walk in the mountains. As a family, they are dedicated to softening the hurting and strengthening the healing for generations to come. And we have experienced that and are so, so thankful. So welcome to our show. It's so great to have you. Thank you. And I'm so fond of both of you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for making time for us and coming on here and just sharing all your, uh, what you've learned, um, your training. Um, as I was listening to that bio, it's, it's so, you are, you, I, like Lauren said, we've experienced that. Uh, what was was it, Lauren? The generational softness. Yeah, the softening, the hurting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have so been recipients of that. Um, yeah, I was so grateful for the work that you do. Yeah. And for joining us. Right, because now our audience gets to um, glean from from your work, and I love how. Um, you know, I just think the audience should know that this woman is very humble. <laughs> and so she has, this has all been hard fought for and you live it authentically and you always share, um, you share your struggle and you don't pretend to be above what the rest of us parents feel and experience with your own challenges. And I think that that's, that's definitely our style with how we work with people too, is, is authenticity is always, is always better. It always um, helps to make us know that we're not alone and that we're not broken because it's hard. So. Yes. 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 Let's and I get... feel that authenticity. I just wanted to say, I feel that and it creates safety, you know, mm. knowing that right. we just That's... being real. Yeah, exactly. That's our desire. Mm. So you gave us a fantastic bio. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about you? Because um, you're new to our audience. This is our first time chatting with you on the podcast. Um, Maybe tell us about yourself, um, anything you want, and then just um, parenting, uh, 
a little a little slice of how parenting has been challenging and how you've grown in that. Okay. So that bio was really um, hard to top, but I am a person just obviously like you <laughs> and everyone else who didn't find parenting easy to begin with. I thought it would be the nurturing part came easy, right? Having a tiny baby to love was so exciting. But the toddler years and discipline became, that's the area that I started to unravel in, just so confused. Mm -hmm. And I was diligent. I went to the bookstore. I bought all the books. And that is where I feel I was misled. You know, mm -hmm. so much of what I read was very behavior focused. Um, the child should listen once. And if they don't listen immediately, then there should be punishment. And I noticed this connection between myself and my children, but also within. Just mm -hmm. crying in the bathroom way too much of the time waking up in the morning and thinking today is going to be different and it was just the same and I just started to really dislike myself and speaking to other people I discovered that we were pretending so many of us right we're pretending that we had it all together and we didn't and that's why I love this work because I want to have a safe space where people can admit hey sometimes I'm really not okay mm -hmm. and I'm struggling and yeah. We, we need that as parents. Mm. We sure do. It's uh, hard enough. And sometimes it feels like a doggy dog world out there of what parenting sells right, who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong. And it's just, mm. sometimes it just needs to be a place to, to uh, just be and to learn and to be supported and be seen and heard. Uh, I love that. Today we're going to talk about um, how the nervous system is uniquely challenged in the parenting relationship. Um, we talked a lot about nervous system regulation and we would be kind of ignoring an elephant in a room in the room if we didn't mention the impact that the parenting relationship uh, experience has on the nervous system because it's it's significant and profound. Um, so how would you describe when you're working with people and they're trying to understand, learn more about the nervous system, how would you describe um, nervous system regulation and nervous system dysregulation? Hmm. I try to keep it simple so that people can relay this information to their children as well. Mm -hmm. So I always give a nod to the polyvagal theory and to all those other things in information, but we really just want to understand that this regulation is like a disconnection within, right? We feel disconnected from ourselves. Uh, we feel either sort of frozen or maybe we feel frantic, you know? So those two extremes. And we can notice that it's not who we really are. If we pay attention, something feels off. Whereas regulation to me is more when we feel connected, when we more, even if we, even if we aren't calm, even if we do notice that we have some sensations or uncomfortable emotions, to me, regulation is just that process of noting that we 
So it's not always for me when we rested, mm-hmm. but when we are able to notice what's going on inside of us, we feel connected mm-hmm. to ourselves and to others. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you kind of say is it's not necessarily being calm or in control, but it's more being present with your present experience and like identifying right. it. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. I I think we, um, I love the crossover of like terms and modalities. I always love to find the intersections of those. And it's reminding me, what you're describing is reminding me of how we use the word embodiment as yes. well. Thinking that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. so, that's such an empowering, um, well, it's an empowering reality, but then as, as a concept to explain and to, to help people start to gra- uh, grapple with, do I feel embodied and connected or do I feel disembodied and disconnected from myself, which will always be mm-hmm. and others. You can't be disembodied from yourself and be connected well with others. Um, so that's mm-hmm. a, great, a lovely way to mm-hmm. describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that word. You know, I sometimes just think of that word embody and empathy and emotions and how it's all connected, all the M's. I'm trying to (laughs) ground myself in them. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. I've never noticed those, the connection of those words. And and, and probably in the root, uh, probably somehow in the meaning, there's a connection like, in the root word, I don't know. Makes me want to look it up. I think so. Okay. I think in Latin, E-M means within. Oh, oh. wow. That's amazing. Very oh. nice. <laughs> I like that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so what is it about parenting from your perspective and your work with parents? Um, um, what is it about the nature of parenting that is so uniquely challenging, triggering, dysregulating, whatever we want to call it? Why? <laughs> yes. I think it's different for everyone, but some common areas are, well, hormones. So we want to look at what happens to our body physically, emotionally and relationally. Mm -hmm. And there's some transference there for many of us. Like our body remembers what it felt like to be a child or what it felt like to be in relationship with parents. But it gets kind of confusing because now we the parents. And Mm -hmm. so often I hear people say, oh, I've become my father or I've become my mother, the thing I fear the most. And to me, I think that can be well, just recognizing that we have familiar patterns and maybe these aren't playing off in other areas of our lives. So we could be functioning really well in friendships and the workplace, but it's so common for transference to happen in the parent-child relationship or with our co-parents. Mm. From my perspective and the perspective of others that I've learned from, it's because our body remembers that dysregulation or that um, insecure attachment. Mm. 
So there's that. And then there's obviously also the wear and tear on a human when you don't get enough sleep, when your hormones are so different, when you don't see your partner as much, or when things feel unfair, when there's newness, right? It's brand new, especially with a firstborn, it's the first time you're experiencing it. And then with a secondborn, it's the first time you're experiencing having to. And so I think if we look at it from that practical point of view, no wonder it's so challenging. It was challenging for everyone, not because we're doing it wrong, mm. but because it, it is a challenge. Yeah, totally. I think that's such a good message for new and old parents. Like, I think I kind of was the same way growing up. Like, um, I know, like, I'm going to be a good dad. It's just like, it's going to be easy. But that's that unrealistic and then the lack of information of what parenting is. And so just that information of like, no, parenting is hard for everybody. It's not easy for some people mm-hmm. and natural for other people. It's just like parenting is hard. It may be look that hardness may look different for different people or different depths of yeah. hardness, but it it's a challenge for everybody. And I think that's would be very beneficial for a lot of people just walking into parenting, understanding like you're going to have challenges. There's going to be things that mm-hmm. um, you struggle with that are triggering. That's just a reality. That doesn't make you a bad parent. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think you're right. It's challenging for everyone, but if we didn't receive nurturing or we didn't have a consistently um, safe relationship with our parents or um, you know, we only have to do it most of the time, but a lot of people didn't have it like at all. Mm-hmm. And so then when we're looking at trauma, it's no wonder that that is uh, surfaces again, maybe in things that would seem insignificant for others. It's really big for a person who has experienced, um, well, yeah, trauma and in, in either abandonment or abuse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, it would be nice to know that going into parenting, that if you, if this is your childhood, just know it's going to be challenging for you. It's hard for you. <laughs> get some help. Get some support. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Don't do this on your own. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we find that a lot of people don't recognize that they have um, trauma in their story. Mm-hmm. And you know, they start off parenting and they're kind of sold this cultural lie that parenting will complete you and that it will, you know, all your dreams come true and all your hopes and wishes for your child will happen. And yet you enter into the whole experience with a lot of unresolved trauma, not recognizing you have an insecure attachment, you know, you kind of go in blind, like, we kind of laugh now how funny it is. And I, and I don't say this in a shaming way because I get it, but like all the research that goes into like the right car seat or the right preschool mm-hmm. or the right paint color to make sure this and that, and how do you feed the baby food? And like, I'm not saying they don't have value those things, but um, those things are so incredibly like minute on the scale of what it actually is to try and guide and love and attune well to another human being who is 
very, very under, um, <laughs> who's not an adult yet, <laughs> who's very exactly. immature and, and hasn't developed yet and um, very rough around the edges. I'm speaking from experience. Um, and, <laughs> and you just, I think people are so vastly underprepared. And then after damage is done, this is what we find a lot of people, I don't know about your clients, but you know, they later on in life, maybe some years in, then they're like, oh, wow, there's a lot here. I need to work mm -hmm. on this, but their children have already um, been affected. And <clears throat> this is really hard to talk about because it's, there's so much wrapped up in parental shame and such, but um, it's real. The, those early years are so impactful on their um, neurological development and their attachment styles. So then, you know, years in, maybe you're you're ready to do the work, but your child has um, experienced different versions of you and they've responded mm -hmm. to those and trust may not come easy. And that that's a very hard, hard experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a lot <laughs> there's so there's so much there um, yeah. wouldn't it be amazing if parenting classes could be about um, attachment interparenting like the work yeah. you do like that was what was required to have children <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I think there is hope in the the process if we have awareness so I used to wish that I had just healed before I had kids I don't know if that's familiar to you <laughs> I was like oh I, I I did it all wrong and so much guilt and shame around the fact that I brought people into the world before mm -hmm. I was healed and now I have a different perspective where I think the reality is we're never going to be all healed up we're never going to be good enough to have kids if we look at it through that perfectionistic view but more that oh maybe there's this this is just the plan if we have an awareness that we have the power to to really wound our, our children when we project our stuff onto them but we also have the power to nurture them and nurture ourselves so this society protects us maybe and we keep getting triggered at the age that our child is and it often, not always, but will correlate to the age that we were. And so we can heal in this way, mm -hmm. I feel, if we have an awareness. Like, oh my gosh, this is coming up for me now in the teen years. Um, instead of panic, rather, this is how it's meant to be. I was working through all the, the baby stuff and the preschool stuff and the tweens. And now my child's a teen and I'm getting triggered by their individuality. or um their autonomy or whatever it was that perhaps we were not able to develop mm. that's how I, I prefer looking at it mm. just from the point that we don't really have control yeah and we can't we can't always heal before we have kids but if we do it alongside them maybe it's good enough yeah that's the hope for yeah. sure I like that invitation and that <clears throat> re reframe reframe thank you mm -hmm. rather than 
like feeling powerless of like, oh, I screwed up and I can't do anything about it. It's more like, this is part of the process. <laughs> um, and I didn't, I'm not totally healed from before they were born, but now I can heal as, as they grow, as they develop. And I can uh, at least not continue um, mm -hmm. the, the hurt, but also not allow that, stop their hurt, mm -hmm. but also allow your hurt to heal in that process. Uh, I like that reframe. Yeah. It's very empowering and hopeful, which is why mm -hmm. you're so good. I mean, mm -hmm. love Lelia. So there's always hope. I I do think, and I'm sure you've you've done this on your own, Lelia, um, personally, but I do think there is an element of grief work to be done about um, experiences that maybe you've brought into your child's life that were not for their best, that did not help their development, that mm. contributed to trauma and pain and insecure attachment. And um, I just want to acknowledge and honor those realities for parents that are listening of like, mm -hmm. uh, it would have been in all, maybe we can just actually disagree on that part because maybe you don't think so, but I think it would have been better ideally <laughs> if they, if we were, uh -huh. right. So ideal, yeah. but Definitely. then, Definitely. Uh, the nuance of that, like the reality is we, we grow together and that's just how relationships and families work. So I get what you're saying. Totally. Um, we we've had to grieve many times these realities that are kind of glaring us in the face with, um, through our children and the things that they struggle with. And <clears throat> that grief is essential because it allows me to accept where we're at, what's happened, the things they struggle with, the things I struggle with, like grief really opens the door for me to, to feel the softness of acceptance, like um, kind of wearing away at the, the angry, I don't want to accept this, it's too hard, or it's too painful, or it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So yeah, I think grief is uh, an important part too. Yes so important mm. and mature taking responsibility for our actions you know I think that's a very big part of it as well mm. is admitting that we have harmed or hurt mm. and that we're so sorry yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm. so how do you see um parents navigating triggers and kind of getting, how, what does this growth look like with, with who you're working with, um, where they're better able to navigate the triggers, the unique challenges of parenting? Mm -hmm. Well, seeing triggers as that either like flashing light, like, hello, I'm still here, this is a really big wound, mm -hmm. opposed to seeing oh, my child is triggering me. So rather mm -hmm. that the trigger is revealing a hurt that has always been there before the child. Mm -hmm. You know, and I want to just make a distinction between just 
everyday emotions like frustration and irritation and exhaustion, those are very human. How I see a trigger is deeper than that. Yeah. You know, so it's when it really feels for us as the parents, personal, uh, we feel as if this is happening to us. We may feel either like a victim or we may feel very much like a perpetrator. And it's, um, it's messy and chaotic and confusing in those moments. For me, that's the distinction between a trigger and just maybe like an adult tantrum where we just haven't noticed that we've got a whole lot of emotions that we need to regulate. Sure. Um, so for me I feel that we want to add a lot of compassion and remember that sometimes in parenting we're all the ages we've ever been mm-hmm. and not in a I hope it doesn't sound patronizing but if we're reflecting on the transference that often in the moment when we triggered we may ask ourselves like what was going on for me when I was this age what was going on for me around this emotion? Like, was I allowed to? So it's often a perfect opportunity for us to grow mm. and to mend like something between our child and us. Mm. And there's often a child, right, in the family that will trigger a parent. And I don't think there's any coincidence in that. That mm. perhaps both the parents and the child can benefit from doing the work and not the child having to do the work for us, but perhaps the child is bringing out something in us that we need to heal. Mm. 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 That's good. Is that a hard thing for parents to see? Like, do you find parents are resistant to that at first? Because it's so easy to just focus on the behavior, the behavior, well, no, 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 it's the behavior. It's what they're doing and and not see, well, it's also how you're receiving what's happening and what that's stirring up in you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Very difficult, you know, and I think that's because it's human when we feel dysregulated or we feel vulnerable or powerless to blame, Mm -hmm. to avoid accountability. We see that with our kids. Mm -hmm. So we just want to remind ourselves that it is human. It's very instinctive. Mm. And we're setting quite a high standard for ourselves now as parents, which is beautiful. So mm-hmm. we want to be honest about the fact that we're asking ourselves to be conscious like 24-7. And I don't think that's possible, especially mm. for those of us that have experienced childhood trauma. Mm. Just to have that compassion of we have a threshold, right? We have capacity and sometimes we need to take a moment, just notice, name the feelings that are coming up for us and then nurture safety within us by breathing, putting a hand on the heart, looking out at the sky, and then we can reflect on later what's going on. Yeah. But for me, it's safe to say that if I'm triggered, it's usually about my emotions or my expectations or my past experiences. It's very rarely it's about what the child's doing. And sometimes what the child is doing is also just annoying. We want to admit that a lot of children's behavior is annoying it's not it's 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 not their fault I think just socially we haven't really we're not very tolerant of childlike behavior yet and hopefully that will change Mm. I like what you said uh it's not my my kid isn't triggering me it's 
there's something here that is triggering me. And I like that taking that blame off the child. Um, so it's not like a, a wedge that can be driven between you and your kids. It's like if my kid, if my kid's triggering me, then like the kid is the problem or a kid is the danger. The kid is the threat. But if you're able to reframe it again of this behavior, there's something here that is triggering me. Um, I think it leaves space for that relationship to stay intact and to um, move forward and not that relationship not be turned at, against each other. Um, mm -hmm. But there's like curiosity. There's not, there's curiosity of what's going on there rather than um, defensiveness or like you said, like blaming. Um, mm. That's really, really good. Really like that as well. I'm just like, you're just learning and listening. I'm kind of quiet over here, but I'm just like, processing everything it's always so good I also don't feel very good this week yeah you're still oh, sorry it's okay mm. um I did a video the other day for our Instagram page about like parallel triggers and this idea of our children doing mm. something that feels very reminiscent of something that's happened to us in our story and how the reaction might feel like an overreaction to us. And that's usually a sign that there's more, you know, like you said, it's not just an annoyance, it's a deeper thing. Yeah. Um, but for, for me, I noticed with um, two of my kiddos that certain behaviors that they do that are very um, inward, very self-centered, that, that, that are very, um, trying to think of positive way to explain <laughs> that are not others they're not, not considerate when yeah. when I was really um hard to see behaviors come out of them I notice I feel the uh, the past ripple of other relationships in my life that have been harmful and that have lacked basic consideration for me as a person mm. value Mm. And so I've been noticing that, especially as they get older, because, you know, there's different hard parts about all stages of parenting. And the, the challenge when they're older is the, the way they can hurt you can become sophisticated and intentional mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. really harmful. Um, and that is very different than the toddler who won't take his nap, which is also incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging, right. but it, it carries a, a different feel. All of the seasons do. And so I've noticed as the sophistication in the, you know, um, the talking back and the trying to wound, which of course all carries a purpose. I'm not saying like they're monsters for doing that, but it feels it feels so reminiscent. And so that's something I'm working on lately is like, when I feel that parallel trigger to something in my story is like distancing myself for a time, like stepping away from the situation, because inevitably I will say things and do things that I end up regretting if I don't. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's a newer place of awareness for me and um 
yeah, I feel my body like tensing up as I just even talk about it because it's so challenging. Very. Those, yeah, those protective parts are always there trying to do their job, right? And I think if we were held when we were young or teenagers, even when we were experiencing a dysregulation or we were being hurtful, which is often what children do instinctively, they try and create in their caregivers what they're feeling in themselves. Mm -hmm. And if we had received a, a parent that could be kind of sturdy or ruffled and be compassionate with us, but also at the same time really confident, then I'm wondering if we would get us stirred up when our children were being hurtful, opposed to if it reminds us of a parent being hurtful or a caregiver being hurtful. And I think that's why the trigger is so deep, right? Because it's not just, is that what I'm hearing you say? It's not just in this moment, but it feels like all the other times that you were hurt in the same way. But so for me, it's helpful to remind myself, I was so young then when I was hurt by someone with those same words. Mm -hmm. makes sense that I feel completely powerless like I can feel the energy just leave my body and just feel like I want to make myself smaller and other times I can feel that rage right of how dare you speak to me like that and so just having that awareness that it is really not about this moment only Mm -hmm. but about so many moments before Mm -hmm. have been helpful yeah Um, yeah that's so good so empowering yeah so empowering um so this question is um a challenge for children I know you work with a lot of parents who have children that have special um special needs and unique dispositions unique nervous systems Um, maybe they're highly sensitive or maybe um, you know, they have a diagnosis of a special need. Um, what, how do you navigate in, in your coaching um, the line between accommodation and then enabling? That's something Luke and I have been talking about more lately is um, the challenge there because in the special needs world, uh, it's not always clear what's actually supporting and what which is actually enabling that child. Any thoughts on that? Mm, and that is such an important question. I think this is where we want our education to lead us to our intuition mm. as parents. Like this might be an area that we can get guidance from others on the subject, of course, but in the heat of the moment, only the parent will really know. Mm. And sometimes we will make mistakes so we want to practice a balance as you say so thinking of holding that embodying love and limits or compassion and confidence you know those two parts of ourselves peace and power Mm -hmm. imagining ourselves embodying both those parts Mm -hmm. the nurturer and the protector you know um i think our kids can feel that energetically in us Mm. so even if we don't know exactly what we're doing if we can stay connected to ourselves in that moment and connected to the child in the moment then we've probably got a better chance Mm. of knowing how to navigate 
but helps me to think of our values as well. So we mm. want to allow all the feelings and take into consideration the child's dependency needs and their immaturity mm -hmm. and their neurodi neurodiversity, if that's the case. And we want to allow time for that. Mm. Right, so we're doing the nurturing part, but nature's still going to do its role. And we are often looking at 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds and expecting them to behave like 25-year-olds. So there's that. And then there's another part of, oh, this is really important to me. It's a family value. So even though they're feeling really disappointed, it's not okay for them to hit or it's not okay for them to speak to us like that. Mm -hmm. So balancing those two things through communication um, is messy sometimes. And I think we put unre unrealistic expectations on ourselves as well to come up with the perfect word. Um, and they do matter, words do matter. But in the, that moment, what can be more helpful is to just embody that compassion and confidence and then find the words we need for our unique child. They know what they know. Hmm. They know what our family values are. Right. Like not little ones, but, but older ones. And with little ones, it's slightly different in the way that we have to first help them regulate their bodies by validating their feelings. And then afterwards, we can discuss the behavior. So their behavior can be off the wall. We want to remember that's not a reflection of us, but more of their, and it's not a reflection of their personality either, of who they really are. It's very often, and they all rhyme, and maybe there's more, but for me, I hold on to immaturity, neurodiversity, right? Those two things. And and, and high, being highly sensitive, I would put into a neurodiverse category. So we want to separate that. My child's essence, who they really are as a person, is separate from their maturity. And yeah. so their behavior is separate. Yeah. And I think that can, that can help us to remember who is the person underneath this behavior. And the same with us. Who is this person underneath my conditioning? and my coping mechanism so sometimes we're going to be reactive and they're going to be reactive and we just want to admit we all in survival brain and we have to forgive each other for being in survival brain we want to model how to move ourselves out of that like oh my gosh i'm so overwhelmed how you just spoke to me and feeling, i have feelings about it i need to take some time modeling for them how do we come back from that? Mm. And so saying what I feel and what I need, you know, the nonviolent communication model is helpful. But we want to remember with NVC that with our kids, we're going to be doing all the work. It's not like they're always going to know how to validate our feelings. Right. Um, and so that's why it's so exhausting, I think. Yeah. I often, I was having a conversation with a gentleman this holiday and he wasn't really a client. He was just a dad struggling. And he was saying to me, but it's abusive. I would never allow anyone else to treat me like this. <laughs> and I realized, oh my gosh, that's why I think so many of us are triggered or dysregulated by our children's behavior because there's a part of our nervous system that is supposed to protect us from mm -hmm. the being hit or, or kicked or yelled at or and being unappreciated. And so reminding our body that this is just my kid. 
mm. and also be helpful. Like this is just a little child and they have dependency needs. So it's the one relationship I think where it's different to every other. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because Luke and I talk about this so often as we've become more like abuse informed and understand dynamics of blame shifting and gaslighting and all of these things that uh, people who have a lot of unhealed um, trauma and become abusive in their way they engage with others were like, oh my goodness, children, children. <laughs> Children do these things and it is very triggering in, a, in parents because most parents have experienced some, some relationships that have been abusive or, or if not full, fully abusive, very dysfunctional. So I, I love that you pointed that out because it is like the one exception. And I think you're so right. Our bodies intuitively know well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be hit, we shouldn't be talked to, we shouldn't be, um, you know, have a door slammed in your face, all of these things, if another adult did to us, we would hopefully recognize that's unacceptable behavior, that's abusive behavior, I'm not going to tolerate that, but with children, it is such a unique relationship until they're uh, an adult, and then once they're an adult, I think it does shift, and there are certain things Mm -hmm. that you do not tolerate once they're an adult um, or boundaries you have to put up. But I think I would love parents to be able to talk about that more. And I love that you brought it up because Mm -hmm. it's almost counterintuitive sometimes. It almost Mm -hmm. feels counterintuitive and having compassion for that and honoring those parts of our bodies that want to protect us like that's a good thing and honoring that and okay so what does safety look like in this unique situation where I am parenting this very angry dysregulated human who does things that are not okay sometimes like what what can safety look like for me in this situation that is very unique recognizing that no it should not be tolerated from other adults like that's when it Mm -hmm. that's when it's um not okay but it's a little bit of a mind like it's a little (laughs) oh yeah totally it is yes I like um is it Dan Siegel who says yes to the feeling, no to the behavior, Hmm. you know? So I don't think, I personally feel that it's really helpful with kids at all ages to say things like, I don't like that. Hmm. It's not okay to pull my hair or I'm going to put you down if you bite me. We Hmm. can understand why they're doing it and help them validate the feeling and meet the need and all of that for them and still do the same thing for ourselves. So what I try and imagine when I'm setting boundaries with my kids, because it's an area I really struggle with, is I think if my child said the same thing to somebody else or to me, would I be okay with it? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I realize, oh, I can actually be a bit firmer. Yeah. If I'm imagining, right, my my teen daughter sometimes, now I feel bad that I mentioned her. Anyway, when she (laughs) says something to me, that I feel is disrespectful 
and I, I noticed myself drinking, I think if someone else said this to her, how would I want her to respond? Mm. And then I can respond with a lot more authority, you know, mm. respectfully, but I don't talk to me like that. Yeah. I have a different way of telling me how you feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that too. Yeah, really empowering. And I think you, you kind of... Um, highlighted something that's really challenging for a lot of us is this idea of I can be firm being harsh but so often we only have seen firmness modeled as harshness yeah. and so that's what we do but really firmness you can I love the the seeming paradoxes you mentioned like um power and what was the peace peace and peace. Yeah. Uh, Karen Purvis, she used to say um, structure and nurture, like they seem like they're mm. opposites, but when you bring right. them together, they're beautifully complementary to one another. And um, I would love for myself to continue to grow and I can be firm when I need to be firm, but I don't need to be harsh. And um modeling it was so empowering when we worked with you and you talked about modeling that so much comes from what we do and it, it's it's a little bit of pressure but it's also really freeing because it's like you don't have to the burden doesn't lie on you to explain and teach away till you're blue in the face to these kids who don't want to listen anyways <laughs> you can <Exactly. laughs> you can you can live it out and that modeling you empowered us that it will go so much farther than your lecture and you might not see it until they're in their 20s but it will <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's worth it it's, it's worth really that. worth it to have that beautiful relationship with your adult children um, mm. that's what excites, excites me is mm. having these conversations with like my 25 year old, 23 year old son and, and realizing when I'm interacting with my nine year old son, mm. I don't need to be as fearful as I was. Mm. I think that's the advantage of having, a, so reminding parents, if this is the first time you're raising a teen, right? It makes sense that you have fear around, oh my gosh, is my child going to be a good person? <laughs> but once you've raised children and they're adults, you realize, oh, they were always a good person. They just needed more nurturing or mm. more boundaries or whatever it was. Um, and so I, I noticed that frees me up. But I wanted to mention, because we're talking about the nervous system, that it can be helpful for parents to notice when they are setting a boundary or when they are wanting to still keep that connection with their child even though they're having conflict, right? We want to notice if maybe we do have a tendency to remove love. Hmm. And I mention this because it comes up a lot with parents. And that can be because their parents removed affection, well, love, acceptance. Mm -hmm. like, and, and they feel that, the child feels that. Mm -hmm. um, so that practice of noticing, even though I'm being really firm, maybe, does my child still know, you know, by my eyes and my face and my body language, can they still feel that I do love them and I do believe in them? Mm. And I think that can help the parent and the child to recover quickly after conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. For sure. 
it's amazing how much is communicated on a energetic nonverbal level like so much they they know that neuroception is strong yeah yeah, yeah. i definitely see that mm -hmm. so we're gonna wrap up um but i would love to hear you know maybe just some encouragement to parents on why this matters. Like it is the never, the job that you never like clock out of. It feels so, um, so hard sometimes to keep going and to keep prioritizing it. So can you just remind us all of why this work, um, really is beautiful and really does matter? Hmm. I think there's, it's going to be unique for everyone, but for myself, it matters because it's so healing to get to a place where you feel safe, hmm. perhaps in areas that you didn't feel safe before. So we're returning to our natural self. Hmm. You know, we're all wired connection as they say until trust is repeatedly broken and then we wire for protection but when we have children we have an opportunity to rewire again for connection so for me that's happened with my son I used to feel incredibly uncomfortable with men either fawn or freeze and now I've realized when I'm talking to other men oh I feel the safety has returned like I see another human being on the other side because I've learned that my boy's anger, you know, it first scared me and I was too harsh. And then as we grow, we heal. So it will be unique for everyone, but I'm mentioning an area where I have healed. And so it matters from a selfish point of view, but it also matters for a relational point of view. And then the ripple effect, I feel, in the whole world, we're creating environments where there's more safety for people to develop emotionally and relationally that yeah. children don't need to be punished for being immature mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous if we think of it they can't be any other way <laughs> yeah mm, picturing like the ripples of safety just flowing around the the whole world because you're right to be able to increase safety just has benefits that go on and on and on relationally, socially, um, for the culture, for, for, um, families, individual, like there's so much benefit to this work. And yeah. I love that you've seen that transformation in yourself personally. And I love that you said it's selfish too. Like it's not just for the children, although, I find that's a pretty strong motivator because most of us want the absolute best for our kids. Um, we want them to thrive and to know they're loved and safe and connected. But it also transforms us to be better humans and mm -hmm. all that that brings into this world. Mm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So are we ready to go home and parent, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a good Friday Friday afternoon pep talk? For the weekend? I think that's, yeah, I'm ready for the weekend. Yeah. We have two, we have a birthday party for two 
children this weekend, um, two of our kids. So there will be lots of opportunities mm. to respond with with structure and nurture to all the dysregulation. <laughs> Completely. And remembering, for me, I love to remember that my body, so your heart might be full now, you know, and you have harmony between your mind, all the knowledge you have and all the resonance in your heart and you can have, and you go home and your body is like doing its own thing. Right. The yep. noise of the children is like, hi. Yep. <laughs> oh, for mm-hmm. sure. And there's the nervous system, how it, how it plays in so much to this. Yeah. And it's, it's so, I love that you talk about awareness so much because without awareness, you just feel it all and you don't like those unpleasant feelings and then you react and awareness kind of slows it all down and helps you to recognize what's happening in your body. And, um, yeah, we, we love to, to teach different types of ways to support the nervous system to help cultivate more safety so that you can you can feel more regulated and I love that you the regulation to you is connection um I've heard polyvagal folks talk talk about that a lot too but I just love that how much you boiled it down to just mm-hmm. you're are you connected yeah. inside and outside or are you disconnected like that's the most perfect simple easy I think we should I think we should share that with the kids with our kids because that's I love the simplicity of it it's Mm -hmm. so powerful agreed just remember when you share it with your kids it will come back at you I was told just this morning because I was worried about the the wi-fi and I was telling my son you know you guys need to keep it down when I'm doing this and everything and he was like mom your tone just oh it puts me in freeze um so they will use it yeah that's awesome this is your nine-year-old who said that yes he loves using the nervous system to describe (laughs) i suppose it's a boundary you please talk to me with more calm mom (laughs) oh my gosh they're they're too smart Oh, he's, yeah. he's got the language to express mm-hmm. and to get his needs met. That's right. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Wow. It's been lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much for offering this to our audience. This yes. will be uh, a cherished episode, I am sure. And thank you to all of you listeners. We're so thankful that you tune in. Each week, every other week, whenever we post an episode, which is usually every other week, um, just thank you for your support. And we hope that this is a benefit to you and your emotional and mental health. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.